Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. Our current sermon series is The Church Your New Pastor Deserves. The title of Dr. Dorch's sermon today is more by its priorities than its popularity. The big idea is making God's purposes our top priority in life won't win popularity contests, but will give us the strength we need to finish strong. Here now the reading of God's Word from the Gospel of Luke, the 43rd verse, where Jesus speaks to the religious authorities and offers this admonition. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. And then in the 12th chapter, beginning with the 49th verse, Jesus now speaking to his disciples. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three, and they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. May God add his blessings to this, the reading of his word. A church defined more by its priorities than its popularity. If there's any profession in American life that has lost more credibility in recent years than have preachers, would have to be politicians, you ask most people what they think of politicians and and they will tell you, not sure about them. That's the kindest thing that someone might say. Because the basic problem that so many have with politicians is that they seem to be driven by popularity and by polls more than by principles. When it comes to a critical issue that is facing their constituency, how many times do politicians tend to step back, stick their finger up in the air, to see which way the wind is blowing, and then, and only then, to make their decision, which can change based on the whims of public opinion. And it is that waffling that politicians tend to do that galls us more than anything else. Now, not all politicians are like that. Let's Be honest, there are some who are driven by what they believe is the right thing to do, not just for their constituency, but for the larger country, even when the right thing is not the popular thing. And yet, politicians will tell you that there are 
many among their number who give their profession a black eye because they are. They are moved more by public opinion than by the public good. But then, if any of us were in their shoes, would we have the courage of our convictions to do any better? After all, is it not the case that all of us like to be favorably regarded by other people? All of us want other people to like us, to think highly of us, even us church people. Even us church people, we like for others to think positively of us. And there is no sin in that, to want to be regarded favorably by others until, until it comes to the point that our desire to be popular causes us to water down our discipleship so that we can fit in. And when we do that, when we water down our priorities in order to attain popularity, then we begin to pursue things that Jesus would not have us to pursue. And that is the message that Jesus offers to his disciples in this passage of Scripture that is before us this morning. And I think you will agree with me, even as I read this teaching from Jesus, it makes me so uncomfortable to hear these words. This is not an easy teaching because, because it challenges my own sense of discipleship on so many levels. And my guess is, if it challenges you, it does so for the very same reasons. The passage is divided into three parts. There are really three teachings that I've shared with you this morning that all fall under the umbrella of what Jesus has to say to his disciples so that they might be prepared for the implications of the decision, the most important decision that they will ever make to forsake all in order to follow him. And Jesus wants them to be aware of these implications, to not shirk from them in any way. Instead, to make them the priority of their lives. And so this first teaching, Jesus is speaking to religious people, not, not just religious people, religious leaders, religious authorities the Pharisees who were granted by God the grave, profound, serious responsibility of helping God's people to understand God's expectations. But what does Jesus say to them? Woe unto you, you Pharisees, because you're, all you're concerned about is popularity. You like the choice seats in the synagogue and you love, you love to be greeted 
in the marketplaces. And so he comes down pretty hard on the clergy because you're more obsessed with what others think of you than you are what God thinks of you and what God has called you to do. And then he turns his attention to the disciples and he starts speaking about fire and baptism and how this fire that God has called him to bring down upon the earth and the baptism that he's called by God to undergo refers to the kind of purification and judgment that his ministry brings to bear upon the world and certainly upon his disciples. And then the hardest teaching of them all. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? And I want to say yes. Yes, that's exactly what I thought you had come to bring. Peace. We call you the Prince of Peace. And here Jesus says, not peace. I have come to bring division. I'm telling you, within a family, there are five in the family. Three will be against two, and two will be against three. And then it really gets complicated. The conflict that will ensue among families where one member of the family makes following Jesus a priority and others do not. I have not come to bring peace, but to bring division. How does this, how does this fit with other passages in Scripture that speak of Jesus as the Prince of Peace? The peace that Jesus did come to bring is a wholeness that fills every nook and cranny of our being. A sense of calm, a sense of confidence, an assurance that comes over us because of how we make Jesus the priority of our lives above anything else and above anyone else, even those who are nearest and dearest to us. Let, let me be perfectly clear. Jesus does not need to be misunderstood, and I certainly don't want to be guilty of facilitating any such misunderstanding. Jesus is not talking about destruction and just turning everything upside down with fire and baptism. He is talking about a transformation that takes place when people look to him and make him the priority of their lives and choose to follow him through their own baptism. And he's not talking about making life difficult within the family. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's simply saying that when you choose to trust your way to him, there will be others who not having made that choice will not understand and appreciate what you have done. 
even among those who are nearest and dearest to you, so that when you make the decision to elevate Jesus, to claim him as your Savior and as your Lord, to make him the priority of your life instead of the prevailing culture, you can rest assured that at some point along the way, people who do not know Jesus will turn against you, and it will be challenging. It will be difficult. But you must be prepared to endure it. You should not be surprised when it comes. The decision to follow Jesus will put you at odds with other people. It is inevitable. Be ready for it and allow that persecution, that criticism, that ridicule, that rejection, even from those who are near and dear to you. Let that be the surest sign of how your faith is ultimately and eternally in Jesus Christ. Now, I know why this passage is so difficult for me to hear as a preacher because when you teach a message like this, you don't win many friends and you don't influence many people. And there aren't many amens that are spoken either publicly or privately in a person's heart. So what do we preachers tend to do, well, we tend to skip over passages like this, because the last thing that we want to do is to encourage any kind of discord. You don't want any kind of conflict to emerge in a brittle, fragile, anxious system like a church. No, no, let's, let's don't talk about these kinds of things. And, well, those of you who are here for the first time, and you're newcomers, you're guests to our church. Perhaps there are some here this morning who are considering, is this the place where I want to invest my life? And our concern as preachers, my concern as a preacher, I preach a message like this, and you think, oh, I don't know about this. It just seems like that's a word that's too hard for me to embrace. And so... Are we going to lose any people teaching messages like this? And just in general, preachers are, tend to be people pleasers. So we just don't, we don't, want to, we don't want to have to deal with the criticism that comes whenever you speak a word like this. But the fact of the matter, people, is this is not my word. This is Jesus' word. Jesus' words to his disciples, like you and me. And if we must hear and submit ourselves to the whole counsel of God, we got to find a way to wrap our hearts and our minds around these deep truths, these challenging truths. And all Jesus is saying is, you do have a choice to make. It's either me or it's the world. 
And if you choose me, the more you make me a priority in your life, the more the world will seek to punish you, you better get ready for it. You better get ready for it. And so when we think of how in our own lives as individuals, how do we get ready for it? Am I prepared to put myself in a position where I may lose something or someone because of my decision to follow Jesus? Do I believe in him that much? And when we think about that together as a church, are we willing as a community of faith to make Jesus the priority of our lives and to take a stand for him and to let the chips fall where they will? It's a tough decision. And that's why in church life, when people are driven by the prevailing culture, the obsession is with polls and numbers and demographics and all of those things are somewhat important. We need to pay attention to what people are saying about our witness, how many people are participating in the worship of God, where the community is moving. All of those things are critical, but they are not ultimate. We cannot, as God's people, be controlled by them. Instead, what Jesus is saying, trust in my promise to sustain the church and to sustain each and every one who follows me. And then to deny yourself, take up your cross, be willing to undergo the same fire and baptism that I am undergoing, then you will be my children and you will know a level of blessing you otherwise would never be privy to. Susan Howitch is a, a British author who writes on philosophical and religious things. One of her novels titled Ultimate Prize, Ultimate Prize, is a story of an Anglican cleric. She's British, Church of England, an Anglican cleric who is an ambitious soul and his ambition gets in the way of his faith on too many occasions so that not only is he an ambitious soul, he is also a flawed soul. And he can't see it. He can't see it because his dream is like the Pharisees, to be well-regarded and well-received. And his ambition is to experience all manner of worldly success, to be highly regarded. And one day, his sister, also a person of faith, there's division in the home, they, they go at one another, and then finally his sister chides the cleric, you and your prizes, you chasing 
worldly success. You're never satisfied. Do you not understand that the only prize worth chasing is love? And until you get that in your mind, you're just going to go through life chasing after worldly success. And you mark my words, she says to her brother, Sometimes preachers need to be talked hard to in order to hear what the truth is. You mark my words, one day when you're old and you're all alone, the only thing you'll have to comfort you are your bank balances and your fading memories. That's a sermon. But he doesn't pay attention to it and he just... In the novel, he just continues on chasing worldly success until one day the prophecy becomes true. And he's in his grand manse, church-owned home. He's all alone. And he's thinking, those faded memories. He's got money. But what else does he have? None of it sustains him. Oh, I was a success, he tells himself. But, but the only prize really worth chasing, the ultimate prize, the only prize really worth chasing is the one I've ended up losing. What, what is the ultimate prize in your life? You know, what's the thing that your heart beats toward? What are you chasing in life? The ultimate prize, the sister's correct, it's love. Not just any love. The ultimate prize is God's love. And it only comes to us when we make His Son our Savior the priority of our lives above everything else and above everyone else. And this morning as we think about the future that God has for us to know both as individuals and as a church, we go into that future as uncertain as it is with one grain of confidence. God's love in Jesus Christ will never forsake us. It will never abandon us. God will never give up on us. When we trust our way to Him as He has trusted His way to us through Jesus Christ, there is an assurance, a blessed assurance that nothing, no one will ever separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. So that whatever we have to go through in the course of living for Jesus, because of God's love in Jesus, whatever we must go through now will be most definitely worth it in the end. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we confess our human nature to be loved. 
So remind us of the most glorious truth of all. We are loved. Not because of who we are, what we have to offer, but because of who you are. You love us with a matchless love. No greater love than this. The man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus has done so because he considers us his friends. You've sent him into the world to be the means to our salvation. Help us to embrace him to such a degree that though the world might not understand or accept or respect, you will, both now and for all eternity, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work. Thank you.